Greetings, salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. I am your host, Jeffrey Wheatman, and I am pleased and honored and excited and all that good stuff to have my friend David Anderson. He is not the Mr. Anderson from the Matrix movies, but I always, in my head, I always say it that way. Um, So I probably should have asked you this before. I know what you do, Dave, but I don't actually know what your title is. So what is your actual title? Uh, Well... Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on, Jeffrey. <laughs> Super excited to finally, finally be doing this with you. Um, I am uh, vice president of Cyber for Woodruff Sawyer, uh, which is uh, basically a commercial insurance broker, among other things. Okay, okay, all right, good. I, I, I've known Woodruff Sawyer for for quite a while, which is actually how we met. Yeah. So, so here I always like to kind of share share how we meet, and we were talking about this before, uh, Dave. It was a business contact who actually we've become friends, you know, when yes. we're up in New York, we have dinner. Uh, so I love, I love the fact that we've been able to build that uh, in spite of the fact that I am old enough to be your dad. I think we talked about that yeah. At, yeah. at dinner. Uh, you know what? People my age tend to be a little bit more boring. So we, we actually like hanging out with, uh, with younger people. It keeps, keeps it, keeps it interesting. So I've, all I've right. found that awesome. younger people are, are getting to be a little boring, but that's just probably because I'm getting old. That's really, the uh, that, that could be, that could yeah. be, it, you know what, as much as we try, keep getting older. It does not stop. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So we are going to start off, as we always do, with a movie question. Um, so let's see. Um, okay. All right. So here's here's a question, and if you answer it or not, however you see fit. What is your favorite heist movie? Okay. Heist movies, by definition, are not really my favorite movies. But if I if I had to answer the question, which I will, because I'm a good sport. I'll probably say the the modern sort of new Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12. I have to say my favorite one was Ocean's 8 of all of them. Uh, I just think that the star power and the cast of the all-female version was, I think, a little bit funnier, a little bit edgier, uh, a little bit more confident than I think the ones led, led by George Clooney. Although, those are good too. Those are great. All right. Well, you got you, the cast. The cast is nice to look at in either one of them. Yes. Um, but yeah. here, here's here's my thing, and then I'll share my heist movie in a second. But I love the Oceans 11, 12, and thirteen primarily because Bernie Mac. That yes. dude is the funny. Was the funniest guy on the planet. And and the interesting thing, if you know anything about him, his father died young. His uncle died young. All his grandparents died young, and he predicted he was going to die young, and he did. Yeah, and it was it was a, a shame. His um, yeah, that guy just made me laugh. Uh, he was, so he he was hit by a big truck, right? Wasn't he involved in a big? No, that was um, Tracy, Tracy Morgan. Thank you, thank you. That was that was Jess, our producer, who chimed in. Thank you for that, Jess. Thank yeah, you. Tracy Morgan. That dude is one of the most one of the funniest, naturally funny. People, I don't think that guy ever gets on on uh, on script. But what's actually funny? So I was sharing this before we started recording. Last night, my wife and I went to go see Tina Fey and uh, Amy Poehler. Okay. And as we know, Tina, Tina Fey was in Thirty Rock with with Tracy, and she always talks about how funny how funny he is. So yeah, no, well. Bernie, Bernie well. Mac, Bernie Mac. He he either died of a heart attack or heart attack. some okay. some cancer that shouldn't have taken him out, but. 
Anyway, okay, so my favorite heist movie, and largely because it's got this sort of backwards running thing, is actually the Italian job, the the remake okay. with um, Donald Sutherland. Well, I don't want to ruin it. Well, you know what it's old. So at the very beginning, they they commit this crime. Donald Sutherland basically shoots the gets shot, and they you know, Ed, Ed Norton steals the whole thing, and the whole movie is about them getting back to him. But all right, so let's circle back. You said heist movies are not your favorite. What what I mean? They're not what kind of movie would you rather? What kind of movie would you rather talk about? It, it depends, right? I I like I like a movie with a lot of emotion, a lot of feelings. If I'm not crying and laughing in the movie, I I, I may not really enjoy it. It's really heavy, heavy homework. Uh, for example, The Hours, which was sort of a parallel story about Virginia Woolf and. A modern day woman. I mean, a brutal movie to watch. If you're depressed, do not watch The Hours. Um, American Beauty is like top five, top ten um, in my in my entire life. Um, anything with Julia Roberts, Pretty Woman. You know, I'll I'll dabble in the romantic comedies if I'm feeling like a, like a lighter mood. I just I won't be caught dead doing a Hallmark movie though. I mean, that's just. <laughs> do they do they even make them? Is the, I don't even think the Hallmark Channel is a thing anymore. Oh, it's which definitely is, a thing. They got like three different channels now. Oh, yeah, good. So three more. Like, I think they have like a Christmas all year channel where like you know some sort of archaic storyline of a woman being saved by some man in a small town, and it's Christmas in July. That I think is year round. And then they got like just regular romance channel as well. And you know, I think they might be doing like a murder mystery channel too. I don't know. So you mentioned Julia Roberts, so I have to ask you a question, movie question. So rel- relatively new movie um, okay. uh, starring Julia Roberts. Uh, it is uh, what Leave the World Behind, I think, is the is the name. It's very polarizing. Uh, there are some people who hate it. Uh, yeah. Did you see it and what did you think of it? So I avoided seeing it for the longest time. Because of the people that were that were talking about it in a, in a pretty negative light online. So my partner and I don't have any social media except for LinkedIn because we have to. Um, and so most of my pop culture knowledge comes from LinkedIn, which is not a great place, generally speaking. And so for the first couple of months after the movie came out, Jeffrey, all I saw was all these like tech people, um, sort of opinions in chief on LinkedIn, if I may be so bold sit there and you, you may you may yeah i'm gonna get hit hate mail for that one but that's okay um tear, sit there and tear apart the movie about all the different reasons that it was like not realistic and not plausible and like they took too many artistic licenses with like technology and what it can potentially do and then i watched the movie and i don't think i'm gonna spoil it uh so i'll, I'll just go ahead and proceed here but i didn't think anything that happened in the movie seemed all that impossible <laughs> I also think that there was a really, really grown-up discussion about human nature and race and subconscious bias that was a real learning lesson that I thought made the movie exceptionally intelligent, emotionally intelligent to watch, as well as interesting. Because, in my humble opinion, I didn't think anything that happened in that movie was that far impossible. Really, if you think, I I agree with you. Uh, we enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I know it got beat up pretty badly. Uh, in I mean, particular, I was scared. It was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, for a variety of reasons, and I, and yeah. I agree. And I think the the whole sort of prejudice and you and you see how that sort of goes away to a certain extent through 
through the the movie. So yeah. yeah, I I I liked it. And and for those of you out there that don't know, it was actually created by Sam Esme, who was the creator of Mr. Robot, which was a great series about hackers, which is probably one of the most realistic uh hacker things I remember seeing uh in my time. Cause but when we were prepping, uh, Dave and I were talking about a movie called Swordfish with Hugh Jackman, where he's a hacker and he is hacking using this 3D rotating thing. And I go, yeah, that is not at all how that stuff works, yeah. right? So I loved actually Mr. Robot and and um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rami Malek. So, okay. All right, good. So there's a lot of good stuff there that actually will pull us back to a discussion about the actual cyber, cyber piece. So um, I think I'm going to ask you a question, Dave, yeah. but before okay. you actually answer... I think our audience would love to hear a little bit more about your background because I think your background is very, very interesting and impressive, uh, especially for a, a gentleman of your young years. Um, but so here, here's, here's the question. Um, we have heard it said, and I know you have strong opinions because we've talked about it. We've heard it said that premiums for cyber insurance are going up and the payouts are going down and the insurance companies aren't paying and they don't want to pay and they're never going to pay. Yeah. So what's the real deal there? Well, I, I will start off by pro proactively apologizing to any viewers that we've managed to keep on this long. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been in the industry for almost 11 years now, Jeffrey. I've almost exclusively worked on cyber and technology liability insurance, specifically representing my clients in the marketplace when they're trying to get, you know, when they're trying to get coverage in place. So negotiating on behalf of our clients with the underwriters, working with the technical folks within the enterprise to tell the story that needs to be told in order to get the best possible coverage at the best price with the lowest deductible, et cetera. So, you know, that's just a long winded way of saying I'm an insurance broker. I just happen to, to be a broker for a more interesting line of coverage like cyber compared to some of the other lines that have been around for millennia. So uh, that being said, um, the cyber insurance market has always been a fast moving and fluctuating market. I remember the first time, you made a comment similar to, well, the rates are going up and premiums are going up and coverage is going down and, you know, insurers aren't paying. I kind of like scolded you for it offline, even though now I know you're joking and you're doing it to goad me. But there is a lot of temptation, I think, Jeffrey, for people to throw out um, hyperbolic headlines on, you know, website articles and, Everyone wants to turn the temperature up because a flashy headline gets more clicks. But a lot of the cases that you saw in history in the last five or seven years around uh, insurance policies not paying out uh, on cyber attacks were not cyber insurance policies at all, Jeffrey. Like we just had a huge settlement uh, come to a head between, um, I believe it was Merck and their syndicate of property insurers last week or two weeks ago on the NotPetya claim that was from 2017. Merck, I think, generally prevailed. Both parties will say they prevailed because they settled, but, you know, I can read between the lines. And they did okay. And ultimately, the reality of the situation was that was not a cyber insurance policy. Now, the insurance policy itself 
was so old that it hadn't really been crafted to exclude cyber risk. But a lot of the headlines that you see about insurers not paying cyber claims, insurers not paying loss, are against non-cyber insurance policies. So in my 11 years of dealing with cyber and technology liability insurance policies, I have never had a denial of coverage on any of my clients. Now, sometimes people don't follow the rules of the road, Jeffrey. I mean, insurance policies have cooperation clauses and, and hourly spending caps and all these different sort of guardrails that you as a policyholder are obliged to follow. And I, as a broker, am absolutely responsible for making sure you understand. But that being said, a cyber insurance policy will absolutely respond to all the different types of threats that you can think of, whether it's ransomware, business email compromise, uh, data exfiltration, etc. Those are all squarely within what the underwriters want to cover, what they intend to cover, uh, and, and, and what the what the policies offer. You, you get into a little bit of trouble, I think, when people don't fill out the applications correctly. So they're saying things that are legal representations and warranties that may not be accurate, or people don't know what they need to do after the after the claim comes in and they need to work with the carrier. That's a lot of the friction that we see, but it, it, it is genuinely, Jeffrey, not coming from a point of the insurers are looking to weasel their way out of paying loss. It's, it's, just, it's just not the case. And I know that's going to get some eye rolls and I know it's going to sound like I'm kind of in the bag of the insurers, but like genuinely, genuinely, my experience has been if the loss is covered, it should be paid. Okay. So, so there's a lot in there. I just want to unpack yeah, some of it. So, so, no, no, that's, that's okay. So that's why I take notes. So, so one thing I think you said that sort of summarized, I think a lot of that was that there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of lack of clarity about what people are buying, what they get. And one of the things I always used to tell people when you're buying cyber insurance is what is it you are planning? What are you insuring against? And what are you going to do with the money? Right. One of the ones that you and I, I think, talked about, I spoke with a customer a few years ago. They bought cyber insurance for one reason, because the last time they had a breach, nobody wanted to write a check for the postage and the papers and the envelopes and the mailings. So they got cyber insurance literally just to pay that. Right. They weren't using it to pay fines. They weren't using it to do postmortem or, or, or incident response. So so I think that's that's a key, a key thing. Right. Is is having a clarity about what it is you are insuring and i and think, I think Jeffrey, you you hit i think you hit on the most important point and pardon me for 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 for, for bar, barging on your on your observation mm. bar, barge insurance. away my friend barge away when you think about you know personal lines homeowners property life insurance those are first of all age as old as time itself right in terms of the history of insurance but also very regulated. So there are very few things that insurance companies can do to mess with personal lines, right? They just can't. They're very regulated products. Cyber insurance, on the other hand, is probably the most disparate coverage in the marketplace. And I'm talking across the spectrum of all insurance available from John Bon Jovi's right hand to your collectible car insurance on your 55 Mustang, cyber insurance still is probably the most uh, variation uh, ridden with variation from policy to policy. There's no consistent terms and conditions. In a property policy, Jeffrey, windstorm is windstorm is windstorm. We know what that means. In a cyber insurance policy, the definition of computer system, the definition of an insured 
computer system varies in in any way possible. Does it include operational technology? Does it exclude operational technology? Does it include infrastructure? Does it exclude it? Is voice over IP your computer system or is it telecommunications? So to your point, that one client that just bought cyber insurance to pay for the postage and the notifications was probably one of the most pleased and informed buyers in the market because they knew what they wanted and they bought what they wanted and that was it. The problem with coverage on cyber policies is when you don't know what you need and you don't know what you've bought. So if I'm a huge automated manufacturing facility where 50% of the network is bespoke operational technology, it was built in-house. You can't just re-image it with, you know, Windows or whatever. Um, And your cyber insurance policy doesn't affirmatively cover the cost to restore operational technology or industrial control systems within the definition of an insured computer system. When the attack happens and your assembly line gets crippled, the insurance company is going to say, that's not a covered computer system. I mean, we'll restore your databases and send out privacy notifications, but uh, this isn't part of what we agreed to. And so all of a sudden I have a huge privacy liability policy when all I really needed was a business interruption policy for my manufacturing. That's where I think a lot of the agita comes from. So, so let me, let me make a metaphor and and tell me if I'm understanding correctly. So, so basically what you're, what you're giving is if I have a motorcycle accident and I break my foot and I can't drive my car anymore because my foot is broken, the coverage isn't going to necessarily help me get a new car, right? It's going to pay my medical bills. Maybe it'll pay to, not that I have a motorcycle because my wife won't let me have one. Um, although I don't really need one. But is, so is Probably that a fair that is, is that a fair comparison for for yeah, what you I just articulated? I, I think another way that you can say it too is I have a very 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 unique historical building sitting on the San Andreas Fault, and I forgot to buy earthquake insurance. Whoops! Whoops! It's not the insurance company's fault that you didn't buy it. Right, it was there. Your broker should have told you it was an option. You could have made a decision on what you wanted to buy and what your deductible was, but you had an exposure that you didn't think about and didn't insure against. And that's where I think, you know, it's similar. I think similar to your, uh, to your story, but I think more along the lines of what we see is, Oh, I wish we would have, I wish we would have bought that coverage. Right. No, we we told you to, we told you to buy bricking. We told you to buy coverage for physical hardware replacement. And your IT guy said, no, they can re-image everything. All of a sudden, here we are six weeks later and nothing can be re-imaged because I'll be damned. It was bespoke software. It wasn't just, you know, reinstalling Oracle on a server. Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's no there's no scripts. There's no no CDs, DVDs, or, or oh, showing man, my remember, little, little discounts. Do you in a CD and having to put in the 25-digit uh, 25 digit okay. barcode. So, so Dave, sure it was, it was Dave, real. I'm going to, I'm going to show my age. I remember <laughs> when windows required 50 little diskettes. Yes. You had to put them the in one, one, one at a time. Disc. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. So that okay. is definitely showing my age. All right. So I think you, you, we hit on something key and I, I just want to circle back. So this, this has been a bugaboo of mine for a long time, which is okay. the problem with nomenclature and terminology. Right. When I was in consulting, as an example, the first thing I would do in every meeting was, okay, here are the terms I'm going to use and here's how I define them. I don't care if you agree or not, but you need to understand because I can't, 
I realized I couldn't, every project I couldn't learn, right? So do you see a future, maybe short-term, maybe medium, maybe long-term, where we have defined definitions for computer system, for process, for for OT and those things? Because it seems to me that without that, people are going to continue to struggle. So there's two answers. I'm, I'm going to give you both answers, and then you and the team can figure out how long you want to answer to be. First of all, insurance as a whole has to be uh, an insurance policy, Jeffrey, has to be submitted to 50 different state insurance regulators for approval. So if, I, if I'm going to sell an insurance policy that says, I'm going to insure Jeffrey's red t-shirt, that's what the insurance policy insures. And then I say, oh, well, you know what? I want to make sure that we insure the printing on Jeffrey's T-shirt, too. So we're going to add an endorsement that says the T-shirt, the insured T-shirt includes the printing of the logo. So we will replace that as well. All of those little tweaks and amendments have to go through each state insurance regulatory authority to sign off on the language and to understand how they're pricing the risk against their own, uh, not deposits, they're not banks, premiums. Most cyber insurers could not keep up with the fast paced change of the cyber risk environment. And so they moved away from admitted insurance to surplus lines insurance, which basically means it's unregulated insurance from a coverage perspective. And the insurance company is not part of the state guarantee fund. It's basically unregulated insurance, which is why get buying insurance from an A plus rated or A rated carrier matters because you no longer have the backing of a state insolvency fund. That being said, there is no longer any sort of bureaucratic need for consistent terms and conditions when you go to surplus line. So I can say whatever I want about your red t-shirt and no one has to sign off on it, yay or nay, right? So you have a headwind in terms of creating consistency there that I think is going to be around for, for a long time. And then the second, the second answer is there is a lot of, there is a lot of learning and evolution that is still ongoing, Jeffrey, like I I, I have been a very loud supporter of getting your CISO or equivalent functional equivalent involved in the entire cyber insurance buying discussion. And like that is still a novel idea to some general counsels and risk managers and in-house audit committees where they're just like, why would the CISO like need to have an opinion on what the cyber insurance coverage does? And I'm just like, why would they not want to have an opinion. If they're the people that are going to be rebuilding the entire network, wouldn't you want them to know how the insurance works, what the underwriter is going to expect you to do, what your obligations are to not uh, prejudice coverage under the policy? So there is, there is, I think, for a while still going to be that inconsistent terminology and lack of sort of the same level playing field. The reason that I've been uh, successful. And I say that with a kind of smirk on my face. I, I don't take myself that seriously, but I think the reason that my clients and I have always enjoyed working together is because the first thing I do is basically what you do, Jeffrey, uh, which is we all need to agree on a, a fundamental dialect here that we can talk to the underwriters, talk to your audit committee, talk to you, talk to me so that we're all on the same level playing field. That way there's no mysteries and no, and no questions about, what we're talking about. If you can open up the lines of communication and level the playing field, you can you can eliminate, I would say, at least 50% of the frictional effort and frustration that goes into buying a cyber insurance policy. I'll give you a specific example and then I'll yield back to the to the floor. 
every every different cyber insurer not only has a different policy wording with definitions, exclusions, and terms, they also have a completely proprietary underwriting model, Jeff. So every underwriter has a questionnaire that they are following that is absolutely part of their secret sauce and competitive. And so every different insurance company has a different set of questions. Yes or no. Do you have MFA? Do you have backups? Blah, 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 blah. Some of those underwriters and CISOs do not mesh in terms of communicating. And so you can have an underwriter ask a question, basically saying, is your sky blue? And the underwriter comes back and, and the, the CISO will come back and say, well, our, cloud, our, our sky has clouds in it. The underwriter didn't hear the answer he was looking for, which is, yes, our skies are blue. The CISO gave a very valid answer about the condition of the skies. It just wasn't what the underwriter was looking for. And so if you can come back and say, okay, hold on, Mr. CISO, you do have some clouds in your sky, but the sky is fundamentally blue. Is that okay with you, Mr. Underwriter? And all of a sudden, people who were totally talking past each other, where you miss compensating controls, you might get the risk of getting some demerits put on your policy because you just weren't able to communicate what you had in place that makes you a really good cyber risk. And so I think that that level of communication is key. And I think that's why my clients generally have a, a little bit less heartache when they buy. Like no one likes insurance. I get it. I'm very aware of that. But I, I, I'm i sorry. I love insurance. Dave. I love Don't... insurance. I lo- yes. I mean, my, my partner says that I would insure us into bankruptcy. Everything around me is, is insurance <laughs> In, including including that that palm tree clock on the wall behind you exactly. which no one can see yeah. but me okay so i so i have to ask you a question or make, make an observation that oh question so i ran a round table on cyber insurance at an event probably six years ago okay there were there were 13 CISOs in the room okay. and i asked them this question how many of you were involved in purchasing the cyber insurance? And the one of them, all the other ones showed up at work one day and the general counsel said, here, yeah. right? But based on what you're saying, that hasn't changed that much. The insurance buying apparatus is usually a function of finance. Um, and generally speaking, finance and operations or finance and information security hardly ever meet at all. And like, if you're going to be an effective insurance broker, Jeffrey, like you got to make everyone feel like they have an equitable seat at the table because I have to pull in people from all over the organization. It's amazing to me how some people come in last minute. I'm like, really? You're this person in procurement and you're in charge of this. Okay. Come on in, have a seat. Let's talk. Right. But so, so I think, but I think that's, that's critical. And, and, you know, we at Black Kite, we play in the third party risk management space, right? The extended ecosystem risk. And I think that that's spot on, right? Is who owns those kinds of things. And it sounds like there's a lot of similarity in third party risk management and in this, this cyber insurance is that I think part of it, part of it to your point is people, people want to keep their stuff to themselves. I'm, I'm, Many years ago, I had a friend who worked for uh, White & Case, one of the, the big law firms out there, and he said a partner shared this with him one day. He said, the battlefield is littered with the bodies of the indispensable. And what he was getting at there was oh, that- I really like that. I really yeah, like that. I've never I heard use it, that. Feel free to use it. You don't even yeah. have to give me credit. Uh, but but I think that's the point, right, is when we try to keep this stuff all secret and and- in my previous role, there was a presentation delivered by one of my colleagues that said CISOs need to stop portraying themselves as wizards. 
right? Which is is you know this whole big giant um, giant secret thing. And I'm I'm a big fan, and I've said this on the podcast before, and I say it all the time. Your businesses care about three things: money coming in, money going out, and if something goes sideways, who's in trouble? And that's what they care about. And we need to resonate with that. And that's why you know CISOs that go in front of their board and go, oh, we need to do MFA. Well, how much does that cost? A million dollars? I don't think so. As opposed to we have this huge issue and here's a here's the business risk, right? So so I think that that kind of circles back to what we talked about earlier on, which is that CISOs need to know what it is they are buying, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of these a lot of these brokerage shops, Woodruff Sawyer included, I mean, I think we're the best at it, but that's I'm not biased or anything. There are there is the ability to provide real meaningful loss modeling, loss analytics. I'm sure Black Kite does does that some element too, Jeffrey. Where like you all you have to do is ask, man. Like, what do you think our exposure is to to ransomware? I can pull up that report. Like, what do you think our exposure is to data breach? We can pull up that report, right? So part of my job is to help you make informed decisions. Like, just ask. We we try to we try to tell you everything we can, but you know people's eyes gloss over. At some point, right. you're talking about insurance. I can't help it. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of stuff that's peripheral at best to people's core sure. knowledge. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm a big fan of, of repetition. Um, all right. So I'm going to I'm going to shift a little bit. There is a new SEC rule in place which talks about disclosure. It talks about a program and risk management. Are you seeing that? Do you do you see that as impacting the cyber insurance marketplace in a good or a bad way? So, I, that's a really good. That's a really interesting question. You the the SEC rule, and if anyone if anyone that's watching doesn't know about the SEC rule, basically uh, Chairman Gensler put out after years of alluding to it, they put out a new rule basically requiring that publicly traded companies and uh, issuers of, of, of public debt um, have to disclose, I'm, I'm reading right here, I'm cheating, describe the process, if any, for the assessment, identification, management of material risks, describe um, your board's oversight for those threats and your management role in assessing and managing those risks. So there is a annual disclosure requirement around government and risk management, governance, excuse me, and risk management. And then there's also a four-day disclosure rule for material cyber incidents materiality is undefined really in the grand scheme of things so oh, don't don't even get me started we've had that conversation yeah, on a bunch of these and exactly. i have some very strong thoughts <laughs> if you have if you if you want to know what materiality is call your lawyer that's right. all i'm going to say about that um but that being said um large publicly traded companies the rule went into effect right before christmas and then smaller companies that the disclosure and the notification rule goes into effect this june Fundamentally, the act of filing the disclosure, doing it appropriately, doing it in a timely manner, all the things surrounding this new SEC rule, Jeffrey, are probably risks that fall more clearly within a DNO policy, which is why when you ask, is it going to change the cyber insurance market? It's a trick question. The DNO insurance policy, also known as directors and officers liability, is there to provide personal asset protection to individual directors and officers in charge of a company. So you have exposure to personal liability, your house, your cars, 
your kids' cars that might be in your name. Every asset that you have is up for grabs if if you are so if you are proven to be so negligent in managing your job as a director officer and it goes to court. A DNO policy provides inten- defense and indemnity and damages coverage for those claims that come in. Fundamentally, a mistake in the SEC filing falls within the scope of a DNO policy and, and all the associated litigation. That being said, and I've said this many times, if I'm a CISO, I need to make sure that my title, my title that was given to me at my company fits within the definition of, you guessed it, an insured person on my DNO policy, because a definition of insured person on a DNO policy is just as uh, varying as a definition of computer system on a cyber policy. So make sure that you're covered and make sure that if you're not a chief information security officer, a chief something, that your actual functional title is. So if I'm the head of information security or if I'm a senior vice president of IT, that doesn't fall within the off-the-shelf definition of an insured person on most DNO policies. And so you really got to make that you got to make that known to your your stakeholders also right because most most of the time officers are three people right ceo cfo coo that's it and general counsel right and counsel so yeah so you want to make sure you fit into the definition of an insured person jeffrey and that's critical you also might want to seek indemnification agreements from your company within either the articles of association or articles of incorporation or something similar to that where the company agrees to indemnify you. And then when you have that indemnity agreement in place, the insurance company can almost immediately step in and protect you as well. So you really have to do a little bit of extra work. And if you're telling yourself, oh, I'm not a CEO, I'm not a CFO, they're like way more important, you are deluding yourself. You are probably now the single most important line of defense at your company, given the world that we live in today. We are seeing cyber insurance companies start to slowly sneak in SEC disclosure-related exclusions onto their cyber insurance policy. So a, any any cyber insurance policy worth its weight in salt will have what's called a regulatory, reg, regulatory insuring agreement, which means CCPA, GDPR, any privacy regulations that exist, there's probably some sort of coverage for a regulatory body filing a suit or some sort of investigation against your own data practices. They are clarifying that insuring agreement to state that SEC inquiries around your own publicly traded stock filings don't fall into that category. Call your DNO insurer. Have a nice day. So, <laughs> right. But here's the thing. But as long as, that's, as long as that's clearly articulated and clearly understood, Correct. then the procurer, so your customer, could make decisions based on that. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, I don't know how I feel about them doing that because I think, you know, I've always been a proponent of an all risk cyber policy. And I I still sometimes get laughed out of a room when I say that. But like we do it for terrorism. We're going to have to do it for cyber because guess what? Cyber is everywhere. So here, but, but, but isn't that but isn't that the problem, right? Here, like I live in Southern Florida, so we have flood insurance. They're also doing flood insurance for people in California and Texas with the f- general knowledge, not all three of those are going to get flooded at the same time so they can share the risk, right? Exactly. So these risk pools, but exactly. in cyber, cyber, you can't really do that. There's no borders. There's no geography, really. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that underwriters have been grappling with for a long time, and we are seeing a lot more thought being put into understanding 
systemic risk, understanding dependencies. Most cyber insurance policies used to exclude any sort of utility, water, power, internet. The definition of an excluded utility company is now getting broader and broader to include uh, interbank payment systems, financial institutions themselves, stock exchanges, uh, crypto exchanges. Um, again, I don't necessarily agree with that, but then you'll have the underwriter that'll say, we can't insure against all of that. So why would we ever offer in the policy? Because if, right. if it popped, we're, we're going to go out of business. I get it. But right. There's still places in the market that you don't have to accept those exclusions. And that's where your broker matters, damn it. All right. So I think so. That's a, that's a great close. Um, so so I have so I have a couple of, of kind of highlights that that I kind of took notes on here, uh, and then I will kick it back to you. So first, Dave prefers movies that make him cry. So if you take yes. Dave to the movies, you should know that. Um, and then you you said this thing that I love: tell the story that needs to be told. I'm a big fan of storytelling, and I think frequently we tell stories that no one on the other end actually cares about. So I love that. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, a big chunk of of the sort of lack of, of understanding and, and the fact that I believed until we started talking that they're not paying is a misunderstanding or a lack of knowledge about what the coverage is and, and why you're buying. Um, then do you know what you have, what coverage you have, and do you know why you have it? And then finally, CISOs need to be more involved, which I agree 150%. So any last questions, thoughts, comments, any wisdom? And I, I know we didn't even come close to touching everything we wanted to talk about. So we'll have you back at some point in the future. But any closing thoughts other than pick the right broker? I, I think I think the last the last observation you made, CISOs need to be involved, is like if there was one message that anyone would take away from this entire podcast, which was a lot of nonsense, but I had fun doing it, um, is the CISO needs to be involved. Like if you're a broker representing a CISO and you feel like the CISO is getting stonewalled or, or the bureaucracy is hindering them from doing their job well, like do the right thing. Stick up for your CISO. Uh, they are oftentimes, I think, overlooked more than most of the of the the executive team in terms of you know they are the most expensive. They're always asking for new widgets. They're always you know the most paranoid in terms of what their exposure is. But like all those are valid things that exist because they are probably the most important person stopping the army from flooding in through the front gates, right? So be an advocate for your CISO. Make sure they get to the table. Do the right thing and make sure that your CISO understands their obligations uh, under the policy. And I have found that when you do that as as an insurance broker, which is a very commoditized business, Jeffrey, like it is really um, a commoditized business, you can really stand out with how loyal your clients are because like you made you made their day a little bit better, you made their job a little bit easier, you underscored their importance. So the only takeaway that I would really drive home here is get the CISO involved. A lot of the question marks and a lot of the agita goes away when you bring them into the, the cyber insurance buying process. All right. So CISOs matter. Love CISOs it. CISOs matter right. big time. Big time. All right. 
Excellent. So, David, thank you so much for joining. This was super, super My fun. Uh, and and I would, I'm actually going to push back and say this was not a lot of nonsense. I think this is actually a lot of really good, I think a lot of really good stuff. Because to your point, I think a lot of our listeners are security people who are not having those conversations. So I, I love that. And we will definitely have you have you back. So again, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on Risk and Reels with our guest, David Anderson from Woodruff Sawyer. Definitely check Dave out. I know he hates LinkedIn, but he does post some interesting stuff. So definitely check that out. Um, Stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure. Make sure you subscribe below so you don't miss all of our future guests. Wheatman out. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.